In this episode of Eva Talks, Rebecca Surawardi, fashion journalist and consultant, who also has a column for Forbes and is an avid traveler, is going to share with us her advice on life and leadership and how important it is to define what is your purpose in life mm. and then go after it. So Rebecca, welcome to Eva Talks. Thank you, Eva. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> I know we just uh, we were just in Cartagena, mm-hmm. and now you're in Miami for Art Basel. Mm-hmm. So you're nonstop. <laughs> I won't ask you what vitamins you take because that's what everybody asks me, and I say I have no idea how we do it. So how do you do it? <laughs> oh boy, I think it's a lot of discipline and focus, mm-hmm. and I think really being true to oneself and one's needs. I always. I know what I have to do to produce the work that I have to produce and to operate at the level that I want to operate at. And I stay really true to that system for myself. And that could mean that I don't go to a party one night or I I choose not to drink or I wake up really early and I go for my runs or I work out or have my meditations. You know, I really don't let anything get in the way of what, you know, my system is that works for me. And what you're really saying is the basis for really positive leadership because you cannot embark on anything in Mm -hmm. life if you're not well rested and if you don't know how to say no, Mm -hmm. which sometimes I wish I would know how to do Mm -hmm. better Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you try to please everyone and at the end of the day, you're not doing your job. So for, you know, everybody listening, if you really want to get ahead in life, mm-hmm. you have to start saying no Absolutely. and miss out on things that seem fun, but they're not good for you. That's right. And overdoing it is not really healthy. I see that you do a lot of, you know, exercise. I follow you on Instagram <laughs> yes. and I'm like, okay, here she's jumping and moving and doing, <laughs> you know, there's a certain envy from my side. I mean, I do exercise, but... That determination, that drive, really is part of your life philosophy. It really is. Uh, I was really fortunate that I grew up uh, with a father who was, you know, very sporty, and so we were swimming and running and, you know, playing tennis, going skiing from a very, very, very young age. You know, my father is 70 years old, and he still plays 18 holes of golf four times a week as long as he can. Um, in the season and he swims and he takes hot yoga and there are days where he does all three of those things in one day uh, and it really just keeps my mind clean it keeps my 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 body strong I always tell everybody that uh, you know this body is what we have to take us through this life and we have to take care of it it takes care of us and I feel so happy that the one thing I don't have to think about when I wake up in the morning is that is my body going to function for me because I keep it so well I don't have to worry about aches and pains I haven't been sick in 10 years you know and that to me again is a part of uh, my productivity my success uh, and it really comes from that discipline that I had from a very young age growing up with with my father because you have a column with Forbes and you are a consultant, you obviously are exposed to interviewing and meeting mm-hmm, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So you have seen leadership yes. from a very interesting uh, point of view. Mm-hmm. Because when you are able to meet people from different industries or categories and then uh, interview them, then you can find out a lot about where are the mistakes you should avoid. 
Mm-hmm. What are the things that we must copy mm-hmm. and paste mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. do ourselves? Mm-hmm. So share that a little bit about mm-hmm. those experiences that can come to mind. I think um, good leaders really understand that they can't do everything themselves. So they hire the experts in those areas to work with them and to work for them so that they can continue on their leadership path and paving the way for the rest of the organization or whoever else works with them. And going back to the discipline thing, I do see that um, strong leaders, if you look at people who are CEOs, if you look at people who are uh, running organizations, they they are very conscious of their well-being and their health and their wellness. Uh, They wake up very early usually. They might participate in meditation or some other spiritual activity. Um, They really give that time to themselves to take care of themselves. So these are the things that I have seen um, in the leaders that I've interviewed and and worked with. Tell us a little bit about your consultant business. Oh, uh, I work with brands, either up and coming or established, a lot of times up and coming, and I help them with content strategy, brand voice, editorial strategy. I think one of the, the big things that have emerged for people like us who are in the business of creating content uh, is that this editorial voice that we so innately know how to do and professionally know how to do, that it's become so coveted with brands and especially in the startup space now, we see that startups are from the very beginning integrating this into how they launch their brands because they know that um, the way that we speak to our consumers and the many, many touch points that we speak to consumers through these days, you know, we have social media, we have online, we have e-commerce, uh, even even the the copy that you know brands use to sell their products on their websites are so pivotal. Uh, so helping them do all of these things and what the reason why why people like myself have been able to get into to this field is because what brands have learned is that you know PR and marketing doesn't cut it. They can't tell these stories. You know the way that we tell stories. Um, you know. I am a journalist, or I became a journalist, not because I sought out a career, and that I and I said, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, you know, get my degrees and and pursue this. You know, I'm a journalist because I'm a natural storyteller. I'm naturally curious, and the way that we uh, look at information and process information, it is like putting pieces of a puzzle together. And there's no explanation or reasoning behind it. It literally. You know, I always use this hand motion that, you know, it comes from up here above my head and it's coming from, I don't know where. I'm just doing the interviews and I'm doing the research and I'm observing and I'm looking and I don't know how a story is necessarily going to form, but it forms by this innate, you know, talent that that journalists and storytellers have. Uh, So we just, we are able to, or I am able to apply that to the brand space. It's very interesting what you say because now everybody, if they have a social media account, Mm -hmm. they are writers, right? And so I think that the, 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 you know, the career of being a journalist is now a little bit lost Mm. because if you meet a designer, you you know you can't do that you know you I know that I cannot exactly. design at this point I can't design clothes I don't know in the future but I I, I, do, I do not consider myself somebody who could just design clothes 
But nowadays, everybody feels that they can write. Mm -hmm. And then when they see, or they hire you and they see what you can write, it's much better than what they can do on their own. Mm -hmm. They are somehow amazed. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're such a great writer, you do it much. No, this is my profession. Mm -hmm. I write for a living. I create mm -hmm. content mm -hmm. for a living. You design for a living. So I think that there is this perception that writing is not really valued the same way. I don't know if it's just me, but I think that there's, you know, there's not, it's not a feeling that it's special, you know, because everybody's doing it all the time. Right, and we have so much content being thrown at us, uh, which needs writing attached to it. Everything from a blog post to an Instagram caption, you know, it requires writing. So that you're right, there is this perception that anybody can do it. I do think though, or I'm hoping rather, you right. know, that there will be a return to reading because I, you know, realistically, I think that we're going to see magazines fold, perhaps newspapers fold, but I don't think that that desire for storytelling or long format is going to necessarily go away. I don't either. I think that the, the, the platform might change, mm -hmm. but you still need to you know, receive and read content. Mm -hmm. It's just that we don't have enough time because everybody's writing us from different places. Mm -hmm. you, but I, you know, you wake up in the morning and you yes. get a message yes. on Facebook, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some people like to do mm -hmm. text messages and others mm -hmm. WhatsApp. And by the time you reach your email, That's you're right. completely exhausted. That's right. So now I'm going to start reading an article that I really enjoy. Yeah. With what we're so distracted, right? right? Yes. But you know, I think like anything in life, Ava, it, everything is a pendulum, right? Right. We go from being a very conservative society in the '50s to a very, very, you know, excessive society in the '80s. You know, we go from. Um, I have. I really have this feeling that we're going to go from being so. Uh, distracted by all of the different platforms that are out there and we're going to go back to a place where we're going to start turning off our phones and we're already seeing it with younger generations who are who are feeling burnt out from it and I know I do it all the time now I just turn my phone off and I put it away when I'm with people it's an airplane mode a lot to my phone I don't respond to people as much as I probably should because <laughs> of exactly what you said that there are so many messages coming from so many directions and you know I have to try to prioritize being present you know so much about what I do in my life is being present um, when I you have to dedicate the time I have to otherwise how am I going to tell the stories <laughs> the story. that I tell <laughs> you're if not I'm not engaged <laughs> you're right? not there so you're focused on something else you're never you know, going to be able to I'm tell I'm constantly <laughs> apologizing saying I'm sorry I didn't return your email I'm sorry I didn't return your text but that's because you know I'm going yeah. to an art fair I'm mm -hmm. sitting with you I'm going to Cartagena to really learn about what people are doing and I need to be present and I think we're going to get back there at some point right what advice would you give someone that wants to go into the work that you do <laughs> don't do it don't do it I tell everybody don't do it you know and I don't think it's necessarily like the climate in which you know publishing or journalism is in right now even if you were to do it 50 years ago it's always a challenging profession it's very competitive um, there are very talented people out there. The doors to these industries have historically been very, very closed. Um, I myself um, really had to push my way in. You know, um, I didn't have uh, you know all the kind of support that maybe some other people may have had. I had to. I had, thankfully, I, I'm educated. I had supportive parents who, um, you know, 
supported my dream, even if they didn't necessarily believe in it. Um, and I had people around me that supported me. And I'm, I'm a very confident person and I'm a very strong-willed person who believes in myself. Like, I know I'm good and I know I'm talented and therefore I should be working for you. You should know who I am. And I had to, you know, knock on a lot of doors. You know, I literally, um, I, you know, some of my first few jobs were, was literally emailing the chief technology officer at Hearst saying, I need you to know me and or you need to know me and I can do things for you, you know. Or, you know, my first internship was I walked straight up to the publisher and CEO of um, interview magazine who was Mr. Peter Brandt um, thank you Peter Brandt by the way giving me that internship that was really amazing but I walked right up to him at a party and I said you know this is who I am and I really appreciate what you do and I'd love to find a way to work with you and after several months of you know really harassing him he you know kind of gave in and helped me out and it's still a constant hustle even now you know 12 years later however many years later I'm into it uh, so to anybody who do, does want to get into this industry, I would say you have to be very passionate and know this is your career path and know this is what you want to do and be, be prepared to knock on doors for the rest of your career, I would have to say, and have that entrepreneurial spirit and have that belief in yourself and, and follow it with passion and drive. It's really the only way. Um, while the industry has opened a lot in, in recent years, it's still a very tough and competitive business. So how has the industry evolved since you started out? Yeah. And how, how <laughs> you, have you adapted? Because yeah. it's been a big change. Yes, so I don't think without the digital revolution, you know, I wouldn't be a consultant today. There would really be mm -hmm. no need for what I do because brands wouldn't necessarily have all of these platforms to um, speak to consumers through or have to speak to consumers in this very editorial way uh, that they have to do now. Uh, so, you know, obviously that was a huge, a huge change and adapting to it, I would say that I really had to grasp the opportunities that were coming my way and, and really go for it, even though I never in my life thought that I would be working at agencies, you know, at, at digital agencies, um, which I've done. I've worked at uh, Digital Brand Architects. I was the associate creative director there. I worked at a place called Jaywalk in the same uh, position. And, you know, our clients were clients like Shiseido, Tiffany, Todd's, and also mass market clients like Nine West. And I never thought I would be doing that. Uh, but because of this digital revolution, again, the brands really needed people like me to help them figure out how to speak to their consumers. So the rise of social media has supercharged the influence economy, mm -hmm. making influencers a critical part of the marketing mix. There's a lot of discussions about mm -hmm. this and a lot of articles recently on mm -hmm. what will be the future of marketing with and without influencers. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on this? Hmm. You know, it's hard to say if this influencer thing is going to last. We have no way of predicting it. I mean, we never saw it coming. So how are we going to predict what it's going to happen? I would say, though, that, you know, in the same way that magazines provided us with platforms for our advertising, these are our platforms for advertising now. And we can't do really anything about that. The thing that we can do 
is really try to be as savvy as possible in knowing the sort of technology that exists, the analysis technology that exists, the social listening technology that exists, uh, to help us see what are the best influencers out there for us, for our money, and not necessarily expect ROI in the same way that we have expected it in the past. You know, it's very hard to, I think, gauge ROI from influencers unless you are really looking at direct conversion statistics, right? Like I put this placement with this influencer and I was able to sell this many units. Like that's very um, clear. But in the same way, we didn't have that with magazines either, Ava, no. if we really think right. about it. There was no way to know how an advertiser advertisement was going to impact sales. You know, we know that it's going to position our brand uh, in the way that we want it to be positioned and hopefully reach the sort of audiences that we want our advertising to reach. So I would say, you know, that we should look at influencers sort of in the same same way as, as brands or as advertisers. Um, but that said, you know, I think that, you know, to the listeners, you know, you should be savvy and know that influencers are nothing more than popular. It's a popularity contest. Right. They don't necessarily have um, the skills or the background or the education to really be uh, speaking upon certain topics. And I think that's all going to change too. I think people are going to one day want um, more knowledgeable people who are our quote-unquote influencers. I think we're going to get back there right. at some point. Right. Go, going back to basics because there, there has been an overflow of people that now everybody's an well everybody's an influencer of mm -hmm. course but you yeah. influence sure. you have influence sure. once you put out content you're influencing everybody uh, close to you I mean mm -hmm. your close circle but another thing is to have credibility which I think is a different conversation right. when people when brands were putting advertising in magazines like you know the top mm -hmm. tier mm -hmm. They knew that they could get, get, they could not get Roy, but they could get a lot of the credibility that That's they right. needed. So we'll see how that changes. I love influencers. The other day, somebody asked me if I was an influencer <laughs> and if I uh, got paid, if I had a fee uh, for um, you know putting things out, and I said no, I don't do that. I get a lot of requests, surprisingly, uh, to do this type of things, yeah. and I don't. Yeah. I always say my, my content is organic. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see myself doing that. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. I love influencers. I'm very jealous of them. They you have know, a great life and get paid listen, to have a great life. And I certainly pretend to be an influencer on my own Instagram. It. I want to tell you something. <laughs> when you look at it from... What I, what I don't... I, I, I love influencers when they're really great. They do amazing content. They're really dedicated yeah. to it. And they take it very seriously and it makes a lot of sense. Like you see their feed and it really makes sense. They take the time to curate what they're mm -hmm. doing. And I, I'm a big fan of them. There are a lot of people that are trying to get the spotlight because they have other issues. So they might have things that are unresolved mm -hmm. and they're trying to fix that mm. by being in the spotlight and hiding those issues. And then they're not providing anything. They're mm -hmm. just out there. So I, I think that's a little bit more dangerous mm, um, interesting. than the other ones because then you're calling for attention and you need the attention and you have, but you're not really an influencer because you're not doing the work yes. that all these other people do. And I admire them because, as you know, getting up and getting ready and doing your makeup and putting those outfits, even if they give them to you for free, 
or to advertise them, it takes a lot of work. It does. Okay? And I'll give it to them. To the ones that do it great and with class and elegance and understanding who their followers are, I mean, bravo to you. And I'm authenticity. A big then there are a lot of other people that should just leave. When there were a lot of magazines and it was just saturated, the market was saturated, you couldn't even look. You went to a Barnes and Noble yeah. and you just didn't find your favorite magazine because it was so confusing. Well, I think it will happen more or less the same. We'll see. <laughs> so what are the biggest misconceptions of working in fashion? Hmm, good question. I think one of the top misconceptions is that people assume that the people who work in the industry are not particularly smart. And I have to say that the people that I work with... I love how you say that because it's true. I mean, we, there's obviously this wonderful sheen of glamour and, yeah. and you know, uh, I call it smoke and mirrors. But the reality is, is that if you look at the educations of the people who work in fashion, they are more than likely educated in, in a very top tier way. Um, they're very smart. In order to work in fashion, you have to understand references, which is a lot of research. So it's a passion for not just fashion, it's understanding art, it's understanding design, it's understanding culture and how that informs your point of view, how it informs your work, how it informs the way that you react to things, your opinions on things. And I think I think that's the biggest misconception, you know, and I wish people in fashion would show their smarts a little bit more, you know, because we're a very, very uh, smart group of people. And and it takes a lot of strength and confidence to work in this business. It's, it's a tough business. It's a very tough business. It's a business. I yes, always remind people, right. this is a business. We don't do things for free. It's not about branding. We're not going to events because we're bored and we need entertainment. Mm -hmm. Going to an event, covering a fashion show is part of our business. That's right. And um, you, nobody should just put it down because we're having fun. And by the way, how do you know we're having fun? Oh my goodness, thank many, you for yeah, saying many that. Many times I wanna be in bed. I'm exhausted being with my pajamas. <laughs> I mean, what, what part is that you know, a pharmacist you know, it's just because they're a pharmacist and they're dispensing medications and having to answer problems. Well, you don't consider that fun, but for mm -hmm. us going to an event is covering the event, is doing the due diligence, is connecting with the right people, is getting the story. That's right. And networking and in a, like you say, in a world that is highly competitive mm -hmm. and that you need to really have a voice. So you were now in Cartagena, mm -hmm. we were together. Uh, for the Latin American Fashion Summit, you did a beautiful write-up, which has, you. you know, it's really fantastic for Latin America. Thank you. Um, what was your experience um, in seeing all these designers, entrepreneurs? In, you know, what was your take back from all of that? We we were talking about this a little bit before. You know, I really loved seeing everybody's passion mm -hmm. and support. You know, I loved seeing the the passion of the the founders. Um, Samantha and Estefania, how they brought this together, their 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 vision towards it, you know, really approaching, bringing together the entire Latin American fashion industry from the point of view of developing it as a business and as an industry and not just putting up another fashion week, really supporting the industry through 
talking about sustainability, you know, talking about the retail environment. You know, I, I really loved that they had the day of workshops, you know, where they had those, um, you know, small intensive groups talking about PR, you know, how to build your business through international sales and retail partnerships. You know, they're really trying to get it together as a business so that it can be this cohesive market and also identifying where the holes are. I think that's really important. You can't pretend that there aren't issues in in your market, any market. I mean, New York Fashion Week has, has so many issues, right? Um, but they're, they're very open about identifying um, issues and, and trying to find solutions to them. I also felt that this, uh, the idea of community and networking was really supported by the founders. I heard them saying over and over again, network, meet people, network, meet people. You know, the lunches that they held, the intimate lunches were specifically designed for networking and not in that networking, let me go out and have a, at a cocktail party and meet somebody. They really wanted meaningful connections, which in fashion, you know, because it's such a competitive business and can be very icy and, and at times, uh, that was really refreshing to see because we don't really see that so often in a, in a genuine way. Yes. And I think that's a very Latin American, um, or I think it's and, a Latin American. And we American. were in Colombia and in Cartagena, which is very friendly. Yes. And they're really phenomenal, but they've done an amazing job. Yeah. And thank you for that write-up, which, which oh really goodness, helps pleasure. everybody. Pleasure. So how do you define success? Because, you know, there are many that think that success is defined by luck, others by dedication. Mm -hmm. To work both, I remember one person asked me, why do you think you had so much success in your career? And I said it because I've worked really hard. And mm -hmm. she had this great answer that had me thinking, because she said, well, a lot of people work hard and they don't mm -hmm. have the success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That caught me off guard. And mm -hmm. then afterwards, I had to prepare another answer. <laughs> I felt like I had to go inside yeah. and do some soul searching. So what is success for you? Uh, I think there, there are two ways to look at this. I mean, my very personal view on success is happiness. If I go to bed at night and wake up in the morning happy, then I am living a successful life because that is really all I want and that is all I need. Uh, and, and I would hope that is what most people would want and what most people would need because, you know, happiness is, it gives you peace you know, it gives you peace of mind. And I don't mean this happy-go-lucky, like, I'm always positive <laughs> thing. I mean, like, waking up and saying... Maybe satisfied. Satisfied, yeah, just... That's, okay. a, that's a good word, you know, like, a waking up... Oh, I'm, I'm waking up this morning. I'm waking up healthy. I'm waking up in this place where I get to live. I'm waking up getting to do what I want today. I'm waking up pursuing the career that I get to pursue. You know, that is, to me my success every day. If I can do that every day, then I'm, I'm living a good life. But from a, from a career perspective, I would say that uh, it, is, it, is, it is that mix of, of hard work and I would say, you know, just courage, having that belief in oneself and what you do and being willing to, to really fight for it every day. I love what you said at the beginning, that you really went to people and said, you really have to have me uh, you have to hire me, I have to work for you. Um, that self-confidence is something that not everybody has, um, but that they should adapt. Don't be scared, right? What's the worst thing that can happen? They can say no. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I want to be really, I don't want to gloss over this. You know, somebody like me who, 
I'm, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, I, I, I grew up in New Jersey, you know, those, I had to fight, I didn't have a choice because those doors weren't necessarily open for me. Even though I'm very fortunate that, and I mentioned this before, that I had my parents, they raised me very well, you know, I was, uh, I was exposed to a lot through them, art, culture, travel, everything, but still I was entering an industry that's very closed off. And, you know, I, I, I didn't have a choice because no one was going to hand it to me. But you, you did it, you know, you did it with determination. determination. Because there are people that they close the door and they go cry, which I think it's okay to cry. I still, I do that too. But, but, but <laughs> I do something about it, times. right? We all cry. Yeah. Somebody asked me yeah. also once, I mean, I get these for very particular questions. Like, do you cry? <laughs> do I cry? Yes, I do cry. <laughs> Quite frequently, by the yeah. way. And I find that tears are beautiful if you treat them the same way as smiles, you mm -hmm. know, that part of a process. I'm always surprised, do you cry? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I think I'm, I cried yesterday. <laughs> there you go. And then people look at you like, oh, you're depressed. Well, wait a second. I cried, it doesn't mean that I'm depressed. No. If I'm depressed, I that's something very serious. So we can't use that word so lightly, right? Um, what is the most important lesson you have learned in life? Hmm. I think that you go further in the long run bringing people with you. Mm -hmm. Meaning that you may come across a lot of challenges and people who fight you in your life or resist you in your life or put obstacles in your path in your life. And rather than bulldozing through those people or bulldozing through those challenges, try to bring those people with you for the ride. Try to get them to see your perspective because you may win in the short term by bulldozing through something mm -hmm. or right. through somebody or through an obstacle, but that's just the short term. You really want to bring people with you along for the long term. And I only learned this lesson recently in, retro in retrospect of kind of analyzing my own life because I have been a bulldozer, you know? in many ways like you know that same courage and self-confidence that has opened doors for me has also um been somewhat detrimental in in many relationships right right so you know uh it's finding that we learn we learn you know that's a big part of success too i think learning from your mistakes is a huge part of success right because how else are we going to move forward when you consult with brands and suddenly things are not doing well Right, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. things are not working out. They, you know, they're getting this down. What is your advice for them, and what do you think they should avoid? Do you mean brands, or that, do you mean the people the who are in the same yes, position? The, the designers that are working for those brands. The designers working for the brands. Yes. What should they decide? Because uh, sometimes they, they, I feel that when they are not getting the results and the expectations are met they start feeling a little bit down, they might lose their focus, right. they might think, I'm ready to give up. Right. Because this is not really working out. When that's the moment where you have to go full speed, most probably. Right, you know, that's that saying, I think it was Rumi, you know, the, the, the night is darkest before the dawn. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you're going to get to the deepest, darkest trenches before there's going to be light. And oftentimes, you know, it's almost like 
a seed that's about to erupt from the earth. You know, it stays under there, it stays very dark, it's buried uh, within the ground, and, you know, it, it reaches that moment where it's about to pierce through. Mm -hmm. and, and that's actually a really tough moment, right? Because it's like you're coming through now, you've done the gestation and you're going to pierce through. So you have to, I think, keep that belief, keep that understanding in yourself. And I think faith, mm -hmm. and I mean, I mean that just from a, a concept, not in a spiritual or religious way, just knowing that everything is going to be okay. You have to know everything is going to be okay. You have to, when those times are dark, just keep believing it, keep feeling it, keep knowing it from every part of your your body that everything is going to be okay and find ways if you have to to make it be okay or sit back and let it be okay but you have to have that faith i think it's really important yeah i always use a story when i started at vogue somebody gave me a beautiful orchid it was it was like three orchids in one it was stunning and then one day the orchid all the flowers went down it just right up you know it's dead yeah. and at the time we were going through some tough moments so the orchid was very the status of the orchid was very representative of the mood mm. that we were living and so everybody would come to my office and say you have to take it home or you have to give it to somebody who can take care of it because it's it's dead and I'd say you know you have very little faith in the orchid and I would water it every day. I'm not good with plants, <laughs> but apparently, you know, this story worked out well. And it took the orchid maybe six months, and it was looking at it every single day, like, you know, at me talking to the orchid in the office. <laughs> you know, you really, are you really dead? Are, are you never going to put flowers out? Should I take you home or throw it away? And I remember one day I arrived to the office and there was this beautiful flower. You know, it started with the button and the flower and mm -hmm. it was just a moment of, I think I had been traveling, so I didn't see the butt coming out, so I arrived on this flower. And I used to, you know, share it with the teams in the company because I said, you know, you were, we were all giving up. I didn't give up. I flowered the plant. I talked <laughs> to the plant. You all thought I was crazy. <laughs> I had faith, you know, I was like, I wasn't going to give up. And I think is what you're saying, mm -hmm. but also don't give up so easily when things don't work out. Because this is life. You know, it's, you can, you can even take it from a very just economic perspective. It's the law of diminishing returns. You know, it is law that your business is going to, uh, you know, it's going to go up and it's going to plateau and then it's going to go down. This is, this is a law, right? Economic law. So you could even look at it that way, that it is inevitable that there are going to be moments in your life, in your business, in your career that are going to be going downward. Now, as people, as businesses, we have to anticipate that or know how to deal with it and, and, and stave it, you know, stave off that law of diminishing returns. Right. So there are a lot of ways to look at it. If you wanted our listeners to take away one piece of information today, what would it be? Trust your instinct. I love that. <laughs> Always trust your instinct. Your gut feeling. <laughs> Always. <laughs> what is the one thing that no one knows about you? Goodness, I was a real tomboy growing up. 
my mother, bless her, she wanted a little doll baby and, you know, she made me grow my hair really long and wear pretty dresses and all that. And, you know, I would could never keep it together. You know, she was constantly brushing the knots out of my hair. I wanted to wear pants, you know, I had, you know, I was always playing and, and being really active and being very tomboyish. And I think when people lo look at me now on the outside, they would never expect that. If you know me very well, you know that I still have that inside of me, but people would never expect that, you know, I was this little girl running around wanting to dress like her dad and, and hanging off of trees and, and getting dirty every day and playing sports and... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't see it now because you're wearing a ponytail with a bow, a pink bow. I mean, people can't see you, but <laughs> I don't see. But, you know, there, we all have our sides, right? Mm. So what person has had the most influence in your life and why? I think that when I went to undergrad at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, and I was exposed to all of these incredible women in leadership positions. Uh, Dr. Joyce Brown, who's the president of the university, uh, Dr. Valerie Steele, who's the director of the museum at FIT. We had incredible female board members. Yaz Hernandez, I don't know if you yes, know her. Yes. She was one of our board members. And all of these people, I had never in my life been exposed to women like that. Uh, you know, I grew up with incredible women, but not ones who are necessarily, you know, career women or professionals in that way. Um, and that was just the most incredible experience of my life. You know, I was very involved in student government all of my years there, and I ended up being student uh, body president in my senior year. So I was a student trustee, which meant I sat on the board of trustees. I was a voting member of the board of trustees, and I had all of this access to all of these incredible women. And I would not be, I think, who I was had I not been able to see these women in action up close. But you were also very curious, so you saw and learned from all of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I see that now. How do you see now the young professionals that are coming to, or the ones that want to study journalism? Mm. Um, how do you see them? Do you think that they are well prepared for what they have to embark on? Should somebody study fashion journalism anymore? Good question. I studied fashion journalism. I did my graduate studies at Central St. Martin's, and even though I got into um, a proper J school in, in New York City, I, I still chose fashion journalism. Should people study it? I, 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 don't, I don't know necessarily. I think journalism is, again, something that's, that's very innate. And yes, um, you can study it, and if that's your passion, you should study it. Are students very well prepared? I, that's, that's a tough question. You know, I was an adjunct professor at Parsons teaching fashion publishing for, for a long time, and I loved my students. I absolutely, they were the highlight of my week, you know, going into that class and teaching them. And it was really interesting to see how unaware they were of how much the industry has changed right. you know i could have taught a very straightforward fashion publishing class this is how you publish a blog and this is how you publish a, a magazine and this is going to be our our projects for the for the term and we did do that you know their end uh final project was they had to publish and pr produce a magazine from start to finish including styling photo you know photography articles 
and you know they could have hired whoever they wanted to do that but they had to produce it from start to finish and they had to have an editorial team and that was their main project but their coursework I felt that was very important the lessons that I taught them were this is a content calendar for a brand you're probably going to have to do this at some point I taught them ethics because I think ethics is really important and something that people don't value so much in journalism anymore but I value very deeply still uh, I taught them um, I tried to teach them digital backend as much as I could uh, just intro introduce them a little bit to how to run you know WordPress how to how to go through those sort of platforms. So I really tried to keep it very realistic about what their work would realistically look like if that's what they were pursuing. But I was surprised at how much the students were still very starry-eyed and that they're gonna maybe go work at a magazine or they're gonna start a blog or... And be a creative director and decide what goes in the right. magazine. Yeah. I always end the podcast with this idea you can do everything in life <laughs> and you can accomplish it if you want to because Mm -hmm. You know, my story, I didn't study journalism, I didn't mm -hmm. study business mm -hmm. or finance, and I ended up doing everything I didn't study. Love it. Uh, so, um, you know, I would say that everybody can do whatever they want. So what is for you the idea of, yes, you can? Because I think your life is about that. Yes, absolutely. You know, I really am a big believer in this idea of the law of attraction, um, manifestation, vision boarding, whatever you want to call it. I really do believe that if you visualize your life that you are going to bring it to manifestation that it is what's going to be because it is the I think the pathway to a plan in in in, in our existence. Thank you so much Thank Rebecca you. for Thank you. you know giving us your time in in Miami and 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 I hope to see you very soon and and continue reading your beautiful stories. Thank you. This is such a pleasure. Thank you.